Amen. If you have a Bible, would you open with me to 2 Corinthians? My name is Jody Sledge. I'm one of the pastors here. And we've been walking through the book of 2 Corinthians, and it's my joy to preach for us today from chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 1 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. This is the word of the Lord. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word today, God. Lord, it's easy to see in the world around us, Lord, that death is coming for all of us. But God, we're not without hope. We have a heavenly dwelling that has been prepared for us, We have a hope in a Christ who was crucified and buried and risen on the third day. And we have your word today to help us think about dying and what that means for us. So God, would you speak to us? Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you open our hearts and our minds to receive these truths and to live our lives in light of them? We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what happens when you die? What happens when you die? You know, as as much as we might hate to admit it, death is all around us. I mean, we turn on the news and we see death all the time, don't we? Nearly 3,000 dead in an earthquake in Morocco. Almost 5,000 already dead in this war in Israel. Death is all around us. And as much as we might hate to admit it, death is coming for every one of us in this room one day. Unless Jesus returns very soon, which he may, praise the Lord if he does, but if he doesn't, we are all in this room one day going to die. It's the reality of living in a fallen world, a world that is under the curse of death, And as much as we might fight against it or don't want to think about it, every one of us will die. 
This is a, a great sermon, and I can see it on your faces. Everybody's loving this topic, right? But what happens when we die? If that's going to happen, and it's going to come for all of us, what should we be expecting, right? You hear all kinds of ideas about what we should be expecting. You hear stories of, I, I saw a tunnel of bright light, and I was heading that direction. Or are we just going to fly away, as the song says, up into the skies, dressed in white robes? Are we going to find a good little spot up in the clouds where we can play a little harp for all of eternity? Is that, is that what's going to happen to us when we die? Do we get angel wings? Do we turn into angels? You got country songs saying when someone dies, God needed another angel up in heaven. So is that what happens to us? Is that what's going to happen? Do we kiss this world goodbye, kiss our bodies goodbye, and just live in heaven as spirits forever? What exactly happens when we die? Well, we've come to God's word here in 2 Corinthians, and Paul is speaking to us about death. Paul is calling us in this letter to have hope in the face of suffering. And death is the ultimate suffering. It's the ultimate weakness. But as we've seen through 2 Corinthians, the power of the gospel is at work even in our weakness. Even in death. The gospel is at work. So Paul takes some time to teach us about death and then to call us to live in light of our coming death. And he does this to encourage us, to strengthen our faith, to help us love and serve Jesus more and more. You see, because of the gospel, we can have hope even in the face of death. We have the hope of a heavenly dwelling the hope of a resurrected life with Jesus forever. So that's my prayer for us today. I want us to see and to long for the day that we may see our Savior face to face. Today, we're going to see in our passage three truths about death. Paul's going to walk us through that. And then two ways to live, two applications, ways to apply those truths to our lives. So let's look to God's word now. Truth number one, we will have a heavenly body. When we die, we will have a heavenly body. So Paul begins this section talking about a tent. Paul was a tent maker by trade, and in Corinth there was a thriving tent business. And so it's a fitting metaphor. And what Paul is talking about here is our bodies. Back in chapter 7, verse 4, he says we are jars of clay. Back in verse 16 of chapter 4, we, Paul says that our outer self, our bodies are wasting away. You know, as amazing as the human body is, it's still weak. Our bodies are fragile. They're wasting away. And so Paul now in, to this chapter starts to work through the question, well, what happens if we die? What happens to this body when we die? Look what he says in verse 1. We know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Notice the progression from a tent to a building. You see, death is not a worse state for believers. 
Death is not just a tragic, really sad ending to a really good thing we had going here in life. Death for the believer is an upgrade, right? Everybody's excited about these iPhone 15s, right? Wait until we receive our upgraded bodies in the new heavens and the new earth. Paul gives us three reasons why our new bodies will be amazing. First, he says it's from God there in verse one. The God who made us and who loves us, the God who has saved us and who has made us his treasure, that God will give us a heavenly body. It's not just something that naturally happens when we die. It's a gift from a gracious and merciful God. Second, Paul says, it's a house not made with hands. Our heavenly bodies are something that only God can create. Modern medicine is amazing, but only God can transform our bodies when we die. Only God can give us immortal, heavenly bodies. And so we will receive that heavenly body by God's power and by his power alone. And then third there in verse 1, he says, it is eternal in the heavens. You see, these bodies that we have now, they're going to die at some point. What we need is a body that won't die, bodies that can't die. Back in 1 Corinthians, Paul has already talked about this issue with the Corinthian church. In chapter 15, verse 49, he says this, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. He's saying we were all created like Adam, the first man who was formed from the dust. But those who are in Christ will bear his image and they will receive a heavenly body just like he received. You see, the ultimate goal is not to leave the body behind and our spirits just to float up into heaven. The ultimate goal is a resurrected body, a heavenly body, an eternal body. Remember, after Jesus was raised, he still had a body, didn't he? He appears to Mary and she's like grabbing at his feet. He shows up to Thomas and is like, touch my hands and my side. He's hungry because he's just died for the sins of the world and risen from the grave. And so he says, somebody give me some fish. And they gave him broiled fish and he sat there and ate it and they watched him eat it. Jesus, after his death and resurrection, was given an eternal body, a heavenly body. And so will we. And so, brothers and sisters, this is our hope, even in death. Not that we go to a better place. Not that we kiss this world and our bodies goodbye. Our hope is resurrection life in Jesus. When Christ comes, we will be transformed. We will receive a heavenly body, a body that will never die, a body that can live with Jesus forever. So truth number one, we will have a heavenly body. Truth number two, we all long for that heavenly body. We long to have a heavenly body. So Paul continues and he points us to a common experience. Notice in verses two and three what he says. For if in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. 
You see, there's a deep sense of longing that we all have for that heavenly dwelling. Paul's already talked about our bodies wasting away. Life in this body is hard. Now listen, maybe some of you are too young to believe that. Too young to believe that life in this body is hard. But listen, one day you're going to get it. One day you're going to wake up and your back will be hurting. And you'll be like, oh man, my back is hurting. And someone will say, what did you do? Were you playing basketball and you hurt it? Were you... Were you trying to lift really heavy stuff yesterday? Were you in a car accident? What, what did you do to hurt your back? And you'll just say, I slept wrong. Didn't know you could sleep wrong, but you can. And you'll figure that out when you get older, right? Our bodies are amazing, but they're wasting away. And Paul says, because of that, we're groaning. But... There's a deeper longing here, too. Notice what he says in verse 4. He says, For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we should be unclothed, but that we should be, look what he says, further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Paul's not just talking about our bodies hurting. He's saying we all have a longing for eternal life. He says we're not longing to get rid of our bodies and just go up to heaven as a spirit. He says we're longing to have a better body, a heavenly one, as he already said. We long to have a body that can never die. We all long for eternal life. Have you ever been to a funeral and and hear someone say, She just looks so natural. Or he's just in that casket, just looks so peaceful. Your grandmother, she looks so good. That's ridiculous. (laughs) I know that people are trying to be comforting, but death is terrible. No one looks natural in a casket. Death is not natural. We see the body of a dead person that we love, and we know that's not right. That's not the way that it's supposed to be. Death is our enemy. You see, death is not a liberation from all the problems of this world. Death is the ultimate problem in this world. Paul doesn't see our bodies as the problem. Christians are not waiting to get rid of our bodies. Sin is the problem. And because of sin, our bodies die. And so we need something better. He says we need death to be swallowed up by life. That's what we're all longing for, for death to be swallowed up by life. You know, Paul is quoting from Isaiah 25, verses 8 and 9. Listen to the day that the prophet is looking forward to and seeing that one day God will do that for us. Isaiah says, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. 
it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Brothers and sisters, we are all longing for that day, aren't we? Longing for the day when death will be swallowed up by the life of Jesus. And so as we long for that day, let's look to Jesus together. You see, he died for the punishment that we deserve, but he rose on the third day in victory, not only to defeat our sin, but to defeat death. And Jesus is coming again, coming to wipe away every tear, coming to heal every wound, coming to right every wrong. Jesus is coming to end death once and for all. You see, there's a day coming where we will join the redeemed and we'll say, behold, this is our God. We've waited for him. Let's be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So truth number two, we all long for a heavenly body. Truth number three, the spirit guarantees a heavenly body. So at this point, you might be thinking, yeah, that all sounds great. But how can I know if that's really true? Or even better, how can I know if that's true for me? What proof do we have that this will even happen? Well, Paul gives us this section, the proof. Look again at verse 5. He says, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. God is the one who has prepared us for this heavenly dwelling. Again, it's not some sort of natural process that happens. There's this common view in our culture that things just, when we, when we die, things just somehow naturally get better for us, right? You die and you go to the good place, right? It's, it's salvation by death. A lot of people think that. You hear this at a lot of funerals. Well, at least he's in a better place. At least she's not suffering anymore. Well, why are they in heaven? Why are they in a better place? Well, because they died. Listen, Paul is clear here. Eternal life is a gift from God. And the Bible is clear. It's a gift that's only given to those who repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Friend, the death, death is coming for you. And the Bible says without Jesus, you will perish, perish in your sins. But listen, God loves to save sinners. He gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. If you would repent and believe in Jesus today, he can forgive you and you can have eternal life in him. If you've never done that, would you do that today? Would you confess your sins to God? Would you trust the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus? And would you come and treasure him with us? You can do that today. I pray that you would. You see, the only people who can be confident of eternal life after death is those to whom God has given his spirit. And the Spirit is given to everyone who believes in Jesus. 
Notice there in verse 5 that the Spirit is a guarantee. That word means a down payment. That'd be a better translation. God is not just like giving us a pinky promise that things are going to be better one day. He has given us His Spirit as the proof that the resurrection life is awaiting us in Christ. You see, God purchased our salvation with the blood of Jesus, and He has paid the down payment on our resurrection with the Spirit of God. And listen, nothing can take that away from us. See, Paul has a deeper meaning in the imagery here. Paul is talking about these tents, and we are meant to be reminded of the tabernacle, that tent that Israel built as a dwelling place for God. It was where the Spirit of God lived and dwelled among God's people. You see, Paul is saying something amazing in these verses. We are God's better temple, and the Spirit of Christ lives in us, and nothing can take him away from us. Cancer cannot take the Spirit of God from us. Liver failure cannot take the Spirit of God from us. Kidney failure cannot take the Spirit of God from us. Diabetes cannot take the Spirit of God from us. Chronic pain cannot take the Spirit of God from us. Not even death can take the Spirit of God away from us. He's with us. He's leading us. He's making us more like Jesus. And listen, his presence in our lives is the proof that our futures are incredibly bright. His presence in our life is the proof that one day we will have resurrected heavenly bodies with God in heaven. Brothers and sisters, the Spirit of Christ, He is among us. He is in us. And so when we're weary, when we're weak, even in those moments when we are dying, He will not leave us. So let's look to the Spirit's presence in our lives and find hope for the resurrection life in Christ. So that's truth number three, the Spirit guarantees a heavenly body. Now, in the rest of our passage, Paul is going to give us two ways that we can now live in light of those truths, that we will have a heavenly body, that we all long for that heavenly body, and that the Spirit is the guarantee of our heavenly body. And so Paul is asking the question, so what are those things? Why do they matter? So what? Well, he gives us two ways. Notice first that we should walk by faith. Paul begins verse 6 with the word so. This is his way of showing us that he's showing us why everything he just said matters. Here's the so what. Look at verses 6 and 7. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Paul reminds us that he is always a good courage. You know, you could read this letter and misunderstand what Paul is saying. You could think, man, this guy is just depressed. This guy is such a downer. I mean, he's complaining over and over and over about his suffering. 
He's wallowing in all of his weaknesses. What is with this guy? You could read it like that. But you can see that Paul is clear here. Yes, life has been incredibly hard for him, but he's not hopeless. He is of good courage. He's not giving up on the Lord. He's not backing down from his hope in the gospel. Yes, he has suffered much, much, but he is encouraged. He knows the power of the gospel is at work, even in his weakness, even in his suffering. And how can he find courage in his suffering? Well, he tells us, doesn't he? By faith. Paul believes that Christ is working through him even when it looks like he's not. Paul tells us these earthly bodies are wasting away from, these these bodies are away from the Lord, right? And he doesn't mean that Jesus isn't with us. We've already seen that by his spirit he is. Jesus is not physically here. Where is Jesus? He's in heaven at the right hand of the Father. We can't see Jesus, but that doesn't mean we cannot trust Jesus. That's what he means by walking by faith and not by sight. We trust Jesus even when we can't see Jesus. You know, a lot of people think that we are crazy. And maybe we are a little bit, but they think that following Jesus is just crazy. They think believing in his death and his resurrection is ridiculous. They think faith in Jesus is just foolish. And I think a lot of people misunderstand what it means to live by faith and not by sight. A lot of people think that we have faith in something that we're not sure whether or not it's true. Is Jesus real? Uh, Who knows? But I'm just going to have faith that he is. Or did Jesus really rise from the dead? Well, I don't know. I'm just going to hope that he did. That's not what Paul means. That's not what we mean. A lot of people think we just have blind faith, and it doesn't really matter if any of these things are true. Friends, if none of these things are true, let's go home and put on our pajamas and watch football. Why are we here if none of this is true? That's not at all what Paul means. We don't have faith in something that's not true. We have faith in something we can't see. Hebrews 11.1 says this, doesn't it? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. He doesn't say faith is the assurance of things that may or, not be, may, or may not be true. Who knows? Just be assured about it. No, faith is the assurance of things not seen. We believe Jesus is real. We just can't see him right now. We believe Jesus is alive. We just can't see him right now. We believe the gospel is true, even if we can't see Jesus. And we believe a resurrection life is coming for us, even if we don't see it yet. Paul says we walk by faith and not by sight. So what does that look like? How do we do that? Well, think about what Paul has already said in this letter. Think about what he's already called us to do. We embrace our weakness, right? Can we see how God 
will use our weaknesses? No. But we lean into them trusting that he can and he will. We endure suffering. Can we see how God is going to use our suffering? No, we can't. But we lean in trusting that he can and he will use our suffering. We forgive and we give grace to others. Can we see how God is going to restore relationships that are broken? No, we can't see that. But we lean in with grace, trusting that God can and he will. We proclaim Jesus to the lost around us. Can we see who God might save through the preaching of the gospel? No, we can't see that. But we proclaim him trusting that God can and will save sinners through the proclamation of Jesus. And even in our passage today, we cling to Jesus in the face of death. Can we see our eternal heavenly bodies right now? No, we can't see them. But we cling to Jesus, trusting that one day death will be swallowed up by life. And one day we will rise with him. So brothers and sisters, God's word is calling us to walk by faith and not by sight. And we're going to have to do that a lot, okay? We're going to have to spend the rest of our lives, either until we die or until Jesus comes again, walking by faith and not by sight. So let's look to Jesus who embraced his suffering and his weakness on the cross. Let's look to Jesus who by his faith gave up his life to save us and to raise us. Let's look to Jesus who died and rose again to give us the hope of resurrection life, even though we can't see it. Brothers and sisters, let's walk by faith together. That's the first application. Second application. Aim to please Jesus. Aim to please Jesus. So Paul gives us a second way to live in the light of our hope. Listen again to verses 8 and 9. He says, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to what? To please him. Again, Paul tells us he's of good courage. Life is hard, but he's not giving up hope. In fact, his hope is so strong that he wants to die and go to be with Jesus. He sees death as a victory for him. He's confident that death will just bring him straight to Jesus. And listen, friends, we don't need some book that tells us the story of how someone died and went to heaven for seven minutes or something like that. We don't need those kind of books to teach us and to prove that heaven is real. We've got the perfect powerful word of God, and it tells us what we need to know. And the word of God is clear about this truth. When we die, we are with Jesus. Don't exactly know how it happens, but that's clear from this passage. Paul says, I would rather be away from the body and with the Lord. When we die, we are with Jesus. I mean, isn't this what Jesus told the thief on the cross? Remember, there crucified next to our Lord was this criminal just moments from his death. 
and God shines the light of the gospel into the darkness of his heart, and he comes to trust Jesus for salvation. And do you remember what Jesus said to him? Hey, buddy, I hope things work out for you when you die. Did he say that? Hey, listen, I'll put in a good word with the Father, and we'll, we'll just see what happens. He says, today you will be with me. Today you're going to be with me in paradise. What a promise to a dying man. When we die, we go to Jesus. Death is a victory for a Christian. You might say, well, how? Because death is not the end. Death just brings us to our Savior. That's the hope that we have in Christ. But what are we supposed to do in the meantime? How are we supposed to live knowing that death is just going to bring us right to Jesus? Well, Paul tells us in verse 9, right? We make it our aim to do what? To please him. What should Christians be busy doing? We should make it our aim to please Jesus in everything that we do. We don't wait until we're physically in the presence of Jesus to please him. We do it now. We do it until the day that we see him face to face. We aim to please him with our words and with our thoughts and with our actions. We aim to please him in our families and in our workplaces. We aim to please him in our neighborhoods and in our dorm rooms. Wherever we are, we aim to please Jesus in everything that we do. You see, following Jesus is not just something that we do for a few hours in this building on Sunday morning. At every moment of our lives, in absolutely everything that we do, we should make it our aim to please Jesus. Now, of course, we will fail. Of course, we will sin. We will struggle. We will doubt. James tells us we all stumble in many ways. But pleasing Jesus in those moments means being quick to repent. It means confessing our sin and resting in his finished work on the cross. It means being transformed by his grace. Pleasing Jesus means trusting him and loving him. It means obeying him and serving him. It means resting in him. It means proclaiming him. It means treasuring Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't die and rise again so we could keep living sinful, selfish lives. He did it so that we might be rescued from our sin and from ourselves, so that we might live in a way that pleases him. Next week, we'll see from Pastor Lance down in verse 15. Look at what Paul says. And Christ died for all, so that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him for whom their sake died and was raised. The goal of the Christian life is not to be good people. We're not trying to be good citizens and have good families and good careers. The ultimate goal of the Christian life is to please Jesus to no longer live for ourselves, but to live for him who died and rose again for us. 
And you might say, well, why does it matter? Jesus loves us. He's already paid for all my sins. Why does it matter? Well, listen again to verse 10. Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. One day, every person who has ever lived will stand before the judgment seat of Jesus. Even believers. And in fact, that's what Paul has in mind here. Not the judgment of the unjust, but the judgment of the just. Now, those who are in Christ will not face judgment for their sins. Yes, Jesus paid for those. But we will give an account to our king for how we have lived our lives. And we will receive what is due for how we lived. Paul is saying what we do here and now on the earth in these bodies matters because one day we will stand before Jesus and give an account for what we've done. And so for some of us, I think there's a warning here, a strong warning. You might think that you can just go on sinning and it's no big deal to Jesus. Hey, Jesus loves me. I can do whatever I want, right? No. You will stand before Jesus, even as a Christian, and give an account for what you have done. And so for some of us, maybe that should put a little fear in our hearts. Not that we fear fear his judgment or fear his rejection, but we should fear disappointing the one who's loved us and gave himself for us. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So we should humble ourselves under the Lord. So if that's you, then receive that warning today. Put sin to death in your life. Seek to follow Jesus. But I think there's also an invitation here. Paul's not writing verse 10 to scare us. Paul's not trying to convince everybody in the Corinthian church and everybody in this room, hey, you guys are probably not believers. That's not his goal here. He's not saying, listen, you guys are probably all going to stand before Jesus one day and you're just going to be fakes. Certainly, we must examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith, but I don't think that's his point here. Paul is inviting us into a life of living for the pleasure of our Savior. You see, the fact that we will stand before Jesus should motivate us to live for Jesus. It should motivate us to turn from our sin and to obey him more and more. It should motivate us to be filled with good works for his name's sake more and more. It should motivate us to honor him more and more. Friends, that's why we exist, to bring glory and honor to Jesus. That's why we've been saved, to bring glory and honor to Jesus. That's why God has prepared a heavenly body for us, so that one day we can be in his presence and forever bring glory and honor to King Jesus. So what do we do Well, we spend all our moments of every day here on earth all of our days in his presence by his spirit, seeking to please Jesus in everything. And so that's our great hope that we have. Christ has died. Christ is risen and Christ is coming again. And he's prepared a place for us. He's prepared a body for us. 
He has given us the hope of resurrection life. He has poured his spirit out upon us. And listen, he's coming again to be with us. So brothers and sisters, let's walk by faith even when it's hard. And let's make it our aim to please Jesus in everything that we do. Beloved, the truth is death is coming for us. But so is Jesus. And in the end, Jesus wins. So let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your word today. God, we at times want to ignore it. We want to fight against it. But the truth is that death is coming for us all. And that would be completely depressing and just so hopeless if it weren't for Jesus. Our Savior who died for our sins, our Savior who rose for our, res- for our justification. Our Savior who is coming again to rescue us. Our Savior who even death will bring us face to face with. Lord, we're thankful for Jesus. We've heard your word today. Thankful for the truths. Help us to live in light of those truths. Help us, Lord, to walk by faith and not by sight. And help us to aim to please Jesus in everything that we do. God, you alone can help us do this. So would you do it for the glory and the praise of King Jesus? We pray in his name. Amen.